Well, we've missed last week's Torah portion, Maquettes, and uh, so I have a little bit of uh, some thoughts from Maquettes and Parashat Vayigash. Thinking a lot about the kingdom, actually, this morning, because this, this week's Torah portion really is a continuance of just the family saga, right, of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And this week's um, portion is really the climax of the whole story that is the longest-running narrative in the book of Bereshit, or Genesis. And as we often mention, the story of Yosef foreshadows a lot of the, the life and the work of Yeshua. And there's also um, a great analogy and some, some lessons of what the kingdom looks like that can be drawn out. So I've been really excited to just study on that every year when we go through these Torah portions. Yosef, of course, was a man of great resilience and character. Um, at a young age, he knew he was destined to be something great. I mean, he even had revelation dreams from Adonai that um, his sons would bow down before him and he would be their leader. And um, His dad sure seemed to favor him, gave him a really fancy multicolored coat and sent him out to look after and report on his brothers. So he kind of knew he was special from early on, and that was something that his brothers didn't take too kindly to. We read in the Parshas uh, a few weeks ago, of course, that he uh, began to run into resistance, of course, from his brothers. They ended up throwing him into a pit, selling him into slavery. Yet he thrived in Egypt, but he ended up being thrown in jail there too. But he would thrive even when he was thrown into jail. And so we're going to kind of pick up from there because we're going to pick up where Pharaoh has a dream. This is in last week's Torah portion. It's Bereshit chapter 41 or Genesis chapter 41. This is the dream Pharaoh has. Dreams fascinate me. We've been talking about dreams for a few weeks. Dreams are something that I've always found very interesting. I mean, most dreams really don't mean much. They kind of just dream about what you're worried about or work or kind of mundane things. But every once in a while, you get one of those dreams that seems you begin to wonder, is this some sort of message? And uh, sometimes people do get dreams where you clearly get a message. Those are very rare dreams, but um, that's the, uh, that is one one medium through which we have that uh, unusual connection towards the spiritual world, and Adonai uses that at times. I think it's fairly rare, but he uses that to send us little messages. Sometimes it's a little message. It's hard to, uh, you know, kind of pick out what's going on in that whole chaos of what's happening in your dream, and other times it's quite clear. Pharaoh's having a dream here, though. Bereshit, Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile River, and there came up out of the river seven cows, sleek and fat, and they began feeding in the swamp grass. After them, there came up out of the river seven more cows, miserable-looking and lean, and they stood by the other cows at the edge of the river. Then the miserable-looking and lean cows ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. At this point, Pharaoh woke up, but he went to sleep again, and he dreamt a second time. 
Seven full ripe ears of grain grew out of a single stalk. After them, seven ears, thin and blasted by the east wind, sprang up. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven full ripe ears. Then Pharaoh woke up and realized it had been a dream. In the morning, he found himself so upset that he summoned all the uh, magicians of Egypt and all us wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one there could interpret them for them. Um, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today reminds me of something wherein I'm at fault. Pharaoh was angry with his officials and put me in prison, in the prison of the house of the captain of the guard, me and the chief baker. One night, both I and he had dreams, and each man's dream had its own meaning. There was with us a young man, a Hebrew, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us. He interpreted each man's dream individually. And it came about as he interpreted to us. I was restored to my office, and he was hanged. Then Pharaoh summoned Yosef, and they brought him in quickly out of the dungeon. He shaved himself, changed his clothes, and came into Pharaoh. And here we get Pharaoh um, uh, tells him his dreams about the fat cows and skinny cows and uh, the, the grain, the fat grain and skinny grain. And in verse 25, we get the uh, explanation here. So Yosef hears Pharaoh out. Here's what his dreams are. Verse 25 continues. Yosef said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of grain are seven years. The dreams are the same. Likewise, the seven good ears of grain are seven years. These, these dreams are the same. <clears throat> I just said that. Likewise, the seven lean and miserable-looking cows that came up after them are seven years, and also the seven empty ears blasted by the east wind. There will be seven years of famine. This is what I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Here it is. There will be seven years of abundance throughout the whole land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will come seven years of famine, and Egypt will forget all the abundance. The famine will consume the land, and the abundance will not be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, because it will be truly terrible. Why then was the dream doubled for Pharaoh? Because the matter has been fixed by God, and God will shortly cause it to happen. Therefore... Pharaoh should look for a man, both discreet and wise, to put in charge of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh should do this, and he should appoint supervisors over the land to receive a 20% tax on the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should gather all the food produce during these good years coming up and set aside grain under the supervision of Pharaoh to be used for food in the cities, and they should store it. This will be the land's food supply for the seven years of famine, that will come over the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish as a result of the famine. The proposal seemed good to both Pharaoh and all his officials. Pharaoh said to his officials, Can we find anyone else like him? The Spirit of God lives in him. So Pharaoh said to Yosef, Since God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You will be in charge of my household. All my people will be ruled by what you say. Only when I rule from my throne will I be greater than you? Pharaoh said to Yosef, Here, I place you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Yosef's hand, 
and had him clothed in fine linen with a gold chain around his neck and had him ride in his second best chariot. And they cried before him, bow down. Thus he placed him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Isn't that something? As Bonnie was saying, the parallels we have here to Yeshua and the story of Yosef are many. Both Yosef and Yeshua are rejected by their brothers or they don't recognize him certainly. They were both convicted of a crime they didn't commit. They were both freed and exalted to the right hand in one day. Yosef was in prison for one second, and um, a few minutes later, he is exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. Similarly, Yeshua was in Sheol, according to Acts chapter 2. He went from Sheol to the right hand of the Father, just like that. Another parallel during this time, people had to travel all over to Egypt to visit Yosef for grain, for sustenance, and much will be the same in the Messianic era. The world will have to, uh, all the nations stream to Israel, to Jerusalem for uh, sustenance from Yeshua. This week's Torah portion continues, um, or Miketz continues into this week's Torah portion as a famine goes on. The brothers end up going to Egypt to buy themselves some grain. They run into Yosef, and they don't recognize him. Again, uh, Yosef's brothers don't recognize him, and many of the Jewish people don't recognize Yeshua as one of their own brothers. The concealment identity goes both ways here because Yosef's brothers see him as an Egyptian, not knowing his true identity, but Egyptians think of him as one of their own, not realizing he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite from way up north. The same could be said of our Messiah. Generally speaking, the majority of Yeshua's Jewish brothers and sisters see a Jesus that the church has presented. He looks like a foreigner to them, like an Egyptian. And many in the church don't realize he was Jewish, or some do, but certainly don't realize how observant he and his followers were and continued to be after the resurrection. And as we read through these Torah portions, we note that Yosef had a chance to reveal himself to his brothers, but he chose to stay concealed because he had a plan. I would argue similarly, Yeshua is also concealed, if you will, but he too has a plan, and we're not privy to all the details, but his plan shall come to pass nevertheless. In time, Yosef reveals himself to his brothers. Let's pick up in chapter 45. They go buy some grain from him before this. Um, he hides a cup in Benjamin's sack. He's going to put his brothers to some testing to see if they're going to fess up to who stole Pharaoh's cup. And they pull the uh, cup out of Benjamin's bag. And so at first, Yosef's going to test his brothers here. He's Tells them, well, you all can go home, but you got to leave Benjamin here as a slave. But it was Yehuda who passed the test. It was Yehuda who said, listen, I promised my dad that I'd bring Benjamin back home. I can't go back there without him. And so, how about uh, you let Benjamin go and I'll stay here? A selfless, selfless act that proved to Yosef that his brothers really had a, a change of heart during all this time. 
And so after Yehuda offers himself in the place of Benjamin, Yosef can't take it anymore. Chapter 45, verse 1. At last, Yosef could no longer control his feelings in front of his attendants and cried, Get everybody away from me, so that no one else was with him when Yosef revealed to his brothers who he was. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians heard, and Pharaoh's household heard. Yosef said to his brothers, I am Yosef. Is it true that my father is still alive? His brothers couldn't answer him. They were so dumbfounded at seeing him. Yosef said to his brothers, please come closer. And they came closer. He said, I am Yosef, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here or angry at yourselves because it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. The famine has been over the land for the last two years, and for yet another five years, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you'll have descendants on earth and to save your lives at a great, uh, in a great deliverance. This is what uh, Bonnie was talking about this morning, about how Yosef went ahead to prepare a place, and so does Yeshua go ahead as we speak, preparing a place for us now. There's so many patterns in the Bible. Patterns teach us about everything that help us to remember things and help us to reveal things. And up until this point, through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there have been a lot of patterns through this whole family saga. But Yosef does something here where he breaks a pattern. If you think about it, the, in the life of Abraham, Abraham had a path, started a pattern of concealment or deception that ended up in um, strife. Remember, Abraham concealed Sarah's identity as his wife, right? He was trying to help God out a little bit, or he, you know, was trying to, wasn't quite sure what to do. I'm going to do something, and um, so he decided to hide his wife's identity. Well, this caused a lot of discord from uh, the following kings. Likewise, Yaakov hid, hid his identity. He posed as Esau to deceive his dad. Things didn't go very well after that either. When he, um, Laban pulled a fast one, deceiving Yaakov, thinking he was about to marry Rachel. He ended up with Leah, causing much strife. So there's a, a pattern of uh, concealment and deception and this is something that Yosef broke here. He could have been angry with his brothers, right, for selling them and all that, but he was full of love and forgiveness. He, he revealed his identity, he took away the deception, and he fostered peace with his brothers and abundance for the whole known world at that time. He provided reconciliation, and he ushered in peace and abundance. This is something that Yeshua will do the same with on a cosmic scale. Our world today is full of deception and strife. I think we all know that. Sometimes we are the target of this. Sometimes we are actually the ones doing the deceiving, trying to do something good, trying to do something that we think is God's will, and we end up being the one that causes strife in somebody's life. I mean, we all fall short, right? And I think in some form or another, we all have participated in a work that causes strife in someone else's life. That's just part of our fallen human nature. That nature will be changed when Yeshua reveals himself and ushers in that era of peace. And he'll reveal himself 
to his Jewish brothers and sisters, but no doubt everyone will receive revelation to a very great degree about many things. And there will be abundance and peace and no more strife and sadness. The pain we feel from loss will no longer tear at our hearts and all the violence and deception will be replaced with peace and wholeness. Amen. Cannot wait. There's one other analogy I heard that I found very interesting. It came from this week's Torah Club lesson. It's an analogy of Joseph and his brothers with Israel and the nations. I never quite put it like this, but it helped me get uh, another image of the kingdom. I'm always looking to sort of refine what that looks like in my head. The analogy goes like this. You have Joseph and his, and his ten brothers. Imagine Joseph represents Israel and the ten brothers represents the nations. Now, of course, Joseph's the chosen one. His father chose him and he was his favorite, but the brothers became very jealous. Israel clearly is the chosen one, and we read that in this week's half Torah portion in Jeremiah. Israel set apart as a, the holy people, but it speaks about it in many different places, about them being an, uh, a nation of priests and um, hit the apple of his eye. It's everywhere in Scripture. This sort of talks to where Christianity and Judaism sort of took a divide early on in the first and second centuries. Why did that happen? Well, that happened because if you think of uh, Yosef like Israel and his brothers like the nations, the nations became jealous that God chose Israel and decided to throw him into the proverbial pit and take over the family for themselves, put themselves in the place of Israel and put themselves just like the sons got rid of Yosef and put themselves in the place of him to take over the family. The upside to this, like Lancaster points out, is that one day there will be reconciliation. One day when Yeshua comes back to reveal himself and place Israel at their rightful spot as the um, nation of priests to the peoples, there will be reconciliation, there won't be any condemnation, there will be lots of love and hugging and tears. Just what you see in the Joseph story. That's helpful to me because I try to visualize again what the future looks like. I know we all do that, but I need a kingdom vision that I can articulate, and the story of Joseph really foreshadows so much of this. The technical term, of course, is eschatology. I like to think I have a Isaiah chapter 2 eschatology, right? For out of Zion will go forth the Torah and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. Then he will judge between the nations and arbitrate for many peoples. Isaiah chapter 2, that's always rolling around in my head when I think about the future. And Isaiah says in the future that uh, the mountain of the Lord will be raised up above many other mountains, meaning there'll be a mountain of the Lord, there'll be Israel that's raised up over all the other nations, not to judge them and destroy them, but that the Torah is going to go forth out to them. And so the kingdom is really a time of reconciliation and Torah learning. And if we are blessed with this kind of revelation and clarity on, on kingdom life on this side, at least in some aspects that we can understand, then we should take part of that, we should take in part in that now on this side of the kingdom. I would argue that's what true discipleship is. And so Hanukkah fits in a little nicely here about, you know, being a light, being a light to, uh, to others, 
about uh, reconciliation and about Torah learning. The key is to be a light. If you're just a little bit of a light, people are attracted to that. Sometimes people get very passionate and a little over-exuberant, and they turn into a spotlight, and that blinds people. You've got to tone it down a little bit and be that light. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Our Wednesday Night Torah Club, we started about five years ago. And there is a guy, his name is Joshua Barlow. He found out we had a Torah club. He goes to um, Cornerstone Church. It's their Caledonia campus. It's on 84th and Kalamazoo. It's a huge mega church. They have thousands of people that go there, right? Guitars, laser light shows, you know what I mean? A very different path of discipleship than we have. Well, he came for about a year and a half, and he really enjoyed our Wednesday night Torah club. He wanted to start one there, and so we helped him. And uh, starting about a year ago, they started a beta version of it there. And so they started a Torah club there at, their, uh, at Cornerstone Church there. As was going well, a few weeks ago, myself and my wife and David Martinosi um, went down there. They invited us there about three weeks ago to their Torah club because they were having a Hanukkah um, little Hanukkah Torah club night, right? Have some latkes, um, you know, just kind of um, meet everyone that's there. They had about 30 people there. Very interesting because they're very different. I mean, they're just the same people as us on many different levels. They love God. Um, very young and Torah walk, but that's Torah being taught in their walls. That's having an effect there. Many, many interesting people there. It was a great celebration. I learned uh, many different things when I was there. Mark uh, Goldberg, the guy that runs it, uh, had some gelt. We were doing a little bit of Hanukkah celebration. He told us that they, uh, Manischewitz uh, makes crypto gelt. I did not know that. Apparently, when you open the wrapper, there's nothing inside. <laughs> but, uh, and the Lord works, you know, there's just, I met uh, some interesting people. There was a guy there, I believe he works for Zondervan or Baker. Anyways, I got to go back and meet this guy. He's got a grant, like a couple million bucks. For he's developing, they're working on software that uses artificial intelligence to translate the Bible into really obscure languages because there's only about 100 people groups left in the world that don't have the Bible. And they're very difficult languages to write in because they're small and obscure and many of them are verbal only. And they're used, I mean, you think of artificial intelligence, you think of the end of the world and Gog and Magog, right? And, this is the big, you know, this is the mark of the beast. This guy's using artificial intelligence to translate the Bible into languages, you know, that reach the far end of the world. I mean, you talk about God taking, repurposing things man might try to make for evil for good. I mean, that's a great example of that. But that's the light spreading. You know, even if you're not part of our Wednesday night Torah club, uh, if you support this ministry on any level, you're supporting that Wednesday Night Torah Club because that Wednesday Night Torah Club wouldn't be possible if it wouldn't be for a tree of life. So by proxy, if you support this ministry, you are supporting our Torah Club and you're supporting that light that is spreading down there at Cornerstone Church and Caledonia Campus 
And it's not stopping there because there was folks in that Torah study that were talking about bringing it to other churches. That's kind of humbling. It's hard not to feel a little prideful about that. But that's kingdom work. We're doing a little bit to help reconcile the gap between uh, the church and how it views Torah ahead of the kingdom. So hopefully that work continues, especially into this upcoming year. I will leave you with a little blessing here. May 2023 be a year that we work on our light and our effect on those around us for the sake of the coming kingdom. May we be resilient like Yosef, being able to stay faithful to Adonai despite all the trials that we will face and the trials that we do have to go through. And may we exude the love that Yeshua has to each other and to all those that we meet this year. Shabbat Shalom.